This week on Grape Encounters Radio. The following is a special holiday encore presentation of one of the most memorable episodes of Grape Encounters Radio this year. Join us as we revisit a show we did earlier this year featuring Master Sommelier and feature film star Ian Cobble and Sarah Schneider, wine editor of one of America's top two lifestyle magazines. So pour yourself a favorite wine and put your feet up because your grape encounter begins right now. Peel me a grape, crush me some ice. Skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. This is an edition of Grape Encounters that I had hoped to do for a very long time. I actually did something like this interview in a deconstructed fashion, let's say about a year ago. You might remember when Sarah Schneider, the esteemed wine editor of Sunset Magazine, one of the two biggest lifestyle magazines in the known world. Anyway, Sarah and I did a little blind tasting that was courtesy of Ian Cobble, the star of the movie Psalm, and now, of course, one of the characters in the new Psalm movie, Psalm Into the Bottle, and they are both here, and I'll try to get everybody caught up in just a second, but I just want to welcome you. Thank you very much. Hi, David. It's good to be here. What happened was, about a year ago, you sent to us one of your Psalm Select, I'll call it a kit, for lack of a better term. What do you call them, actually? It's the Blind Six. It's the six blind bottles. Six, yeah. Basically, it's $199 a month, three whites, three reds wrapped in black paper and basically we train you how to taste like a sommelier would and, and understand the different kind of characters of different wines around the world without prejudging it. Oh my so God. that's not just the initial um, shipment that comes every blind month. every month. Every month. So it ends up being around $32 a bottle but it comes with directions on how to blind taste, what to look for, what I smell, how much acid, alcohol, tannin, what you're looking for in different classic grapes. You know, it's not like some sort of magic trick what we go through in blind tasting. There's actually a deductive reasoning if you smell green pepper and it's a white wine, it can only be one wine in the world. And that's Sauvignon Blanc because there's something called pyrazines, which only exist in that white grape. So there's a lot of different tricks, which we teach you not to get too geeky. I'll try not to today. <laughs> right, um, listeners are all running for a pen right now. And a piece of paper going, wait, 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 you're going too fast. We're all ready to take the first test on that first level now. The good news is, is that this show will also be available in podcast form on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Grape Encounters Radio, you name it. So you can listen to this again and you can pause. <laughs> That'll be good. Hey, and I do want to pause for a second and also introduce somebody else who is in the room. I guess you're just here, Brandon, to enjoy the wines that we've just uncorked, but it's uh, Brandon Carnero, who is the co-founder and CEO of Psalm Select, and welcome. Glad to be here, David. Thanks for having me, and hopefully you'll tell your, your listeners what we're drinking pretty well, soon here. I prefer not to, because if I do, then they write me little emails and say, oh, you have the life, and you know, that sort of thing, and it's really it's awesome. It's clear to me that you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, like Mr. Cobble does. Anyway, so what happened about a year ago was we got the blind six, and Sarah and I alone went through it, and we poured the wines without revealing them. And, and by the way, I did want to mention what was cool about the blind six is the fact that everything about it was just so well done. The wines are wrapped in tissues. They've got numbers on them. Uh, there is information which explains how you go through the process, and then the 
considers that envelope like the Mission Impossible envelope. Ian, you, why don't you explain what's in the packet? It's a lot of material, actually. Well, it's basically, you know, before you play Monopoly, you learn how to play the game. So we tell you how to play the game. And then uh, once you go through the blind tasting, you open up kind of what the answer sheet is and you find out what the answer was. So long story short, when you open up the envelope, we give you the answer of what you're looking for, what you should have smelled, all the fruits, flowers, herbs, earthwood you should have talked about. And if you didn't talk about them, you can put your nose back in the glass and, and try to understand what I'm talking about and learn from it. At the end of the day, it should be fun. It shouldn't be stressful. We do this for people who are actually training to be master sommeliers are also members of the club and people who just want to get a good six pack of wine. Because even if you unwrap all the six bottles or six of the greatest producers for that particular style in the world. So you're not trying to trick people. These, no, these should be classic These are versions. classic varietal correct wines from anywhere in the world. And the retail value of the six pack is always way over $200. But you can imagine how stressful it was for me. You know, it's right. the test. I think we both jumped into it feeling pretty confident. But as we went along, we found ways to, well, we made some really good excuses as to why we didn't get it right, I think is what it really <laughs> boiled down to. But we played that tape for Ian a little while later, and you gave us a pretty good score. Yeah. Do you, do you remember? You... you gave us a B plus, And I told you that if I came home with a B plus on my report card, my parents were very strict. It might as well be an F. And so I conned you into an A minus. <laughs> you know, I, I'll give you an A plus, no problem. <laughs> okay, I, I think you were giving us partial credit. Our reasoning was pretty sound, but we didn't have the whole picture. So, you know, we, well, we plus were... we did the whole thing in like 30 minutes, too. That's the other thing. Right. We were Russian, and that's never good. At the end of the day, you need to learn from it, and then that's what people need to know. It's yeah. not whether you're right or wrong. It's learning from what mistakes you made. And at the end of the day, it's wine. So. And I'd just throw in a plug for tasting blind whenever you have the chance to do it. You just learn so much. That's true. Now that we own a companion wine bar to Grape Encounters, I would say that a good 60% of the time, I don't identify a wine when I pour it for somebody. I let them taste it first. And it's particularly the Merlot haters. Because people will actually come in and they will say, pour me anything but Merlot, just for whatever reason, stupid reasons, really. So I'll wait a little while and then I'll grab a Merlot that I know they're going to like and I'll pour it in their glass and they go, wow, this is really good. What is this? Merlot. And they're shocked. And you know, the funny thing about it is I would say about 80% of the time they actually buy that bottle, which is something that's really hard for me to explain or understand because they're so adamant about it. And I think that's the cool thing about people who really truly appreciate wine. Uh, we're not so hung up on the the labels. If we enjoy it. That's what we drink. Without a doubt. And I think it's important to talk about blind tasting. We're not sitting around with a blindfold on our <laughs> eyes. We're simply somebody's pouring you a wine into a glass that you don't know what it is and judging it simply on its merit, its quality, if you like it or not. And you're trying to guess where it's from in the world. I have to ask you a question, Ian. Mm -hmm. As a master sommelier, Every time you have a glass poured in front of you, do you immediately feel like you're working? No, that's the great part about the wine business. It's kind of my life. It doesn't really ever leave. You know, I do it for work. It's my passion. It's my pastime with my best friends. It's just a, it's the way it is. So you don't take every glass and pull it apart in, no. in your head? No, the test is over. I passed the exam <laughs> a few years ago. And so now Water the, under uh, the, bridge. The, the, the toughest part is over. Yeah. But people definitely want to try to stump you, right? That's going 
to be a big part of your life right now. Yeah, you know, fact, but I'm gonna, I don't. I don't try to. Do I don't. That. I don't. I don't, I don't take it too seriously. I mean, I'll be right most of the time, and I'll be wrong sometimes. And if you're wrong and you're upset about it, it's going to be a long life because it's never going to. You know, it's, I'm not going to be right every time. <laughs> I think one of the things that really shocked me, and it wasn't too terribly long ago, I was sitting at a dinner party with uh, virtually everybody at the party was from the wine industry, and everybody brought bottles of wine, and they were all covered up. So, you know, in brown paper wrappers, which is how most of my life I've been drinking out of brown paper wrappers. But (laughs) be that as it may, it was fascinating to me how easy it was for someone who had tremendous wine instincts to mistake a Zinfandel for a Cabernet and to really be incredibly stumped when you take that crutch away of knowing what's in the bottle. It's not as easy as it seems. You just get the honest truth of what your senses are telling you. If you pick up a bottle of a $300, you know, Colt Napa Valley Cabernet, you're supposed to like it. It got 100 points. And even if you don't like it, you have to pretend you do because somebody else said it was great. At the end of the day, if somebody gives you a glass of wine and you like it and it brings some sort of sense of joy to your life, great. And if you truly don't like it, express that and don't have it again. Yeah. The wine should be there to uh, make your life better, you know, not to, <laughs> not but the other. You're just getting at something that I think we have a hard time shedding. There is so much pressure around wine. People aren't casual about it. They have to be up to the task of tasting wine. And that's a hard thing to just tell them to get rid of. You don't just get rid of that because somebody tells you to. Where did this come from? But I mean, let's face it, the pretentiousness is dying a very fast death right now. It's terminal. And you even see great winemakers starting to use much more approachable language in describing wine. And I think a lot of the flowery metaphors are starting to to disappear. Do you feel that way, Ian? Although you're playing in a little bit different league, certainly, than I am. And Sarah, being the wine editor of a major publication that goes out to all walks of life, you, I think, Sarah have to also be very concerned about, you know, not dumbing down wine, but at the same time making it approachable. So, very much. But yeah. what is your feeling, Ian, in terms of pretentiousness? Do you see a real There's change always going to be language? circles of it that will never go away, but I think most people are, you know, relaxing about wine. It's a beverage, it's kind of a major food group in most people's diets. <laughs> you know, I think it was who was it, Robert Mondavi or somebody was just like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's food. Most people around the world, they drink it. It's a part of their nutrition, it's a daily part of your life and your health. And it's actually good for you if you're not, you know, drinking it too much. But at the end of the day, I think the pretension is always going to be in the wine businesses in certain circles. But a majority of the people that I see are relaxing about it. And I think it all depends on who you're around. We are in the wine cellar at Sunset Magazine's brand new headquarters in Oakland at Jack London Square. And we're going to talk about the wines that Sarah pulled out of the incredible collection of wine that they have here. And it is, of course, Sarah Schneider, the wine editor of Sunset Magazine. And Ian Cobble, who really became a major star in the wine industry after he starred in the movie Psalm. And now the sequel has come out, which is Psalm Into the Bottle. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. In wine, there is truth and sulfites and occasionally a few insect parts. You learn something every day on Grape Encounters Radio. Now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. What a 
rare treat to be sitting around the table with the likes of Sarah Schneider, wine editor of Sunset Magazine, one of the two largest lifestyle magazines in America, and somebody who helped make the word Psalm a household word. Actually, the word I don't think even existed much until the movie came out, Psalm. Ian Cobble, Master Sommelier, and how long ago was it that you passed the exam, Ian? Uh, 2012, July. Wow, already. Yeah, what is that? Three and a half years? years. Three and a half years or so. Wow. And how was it that you came to be in that movie? I mean, whose idea was it? And Well, Brian, one of my good friends I was studying with, he knew Jason, who is the director and producer. And I had just passed the advance and I got the top score at the third level, which is the level before the master's exam. And they were talking to the quartermaster sommeliers and my name came up and Brian was friends with the director as well and recommended that he talk to me. And we went out one night for dinner and then went out to like six in the morning. And then it was like, (laughs) and we had like one of those 12 hour (laughs) good nights where you're like, all right, we're best friends now and let's make a movie. Were you hesitant at first? Did you know? No, I didn't have any idea how stressed I would be or what an experience would be like, you know, you're going to go through this process of being a master soulmate. We're going to film you. You're like, great, because you don't realize how, you know, 60 hours of working and 35 hours a week of studying is going to break you down. And it's definitely a lot of work. And sometimes your body is tired and you have to put one foot in front of the other and there's a camera there. It was a three years of filming, but they were there for most of the stressful parts of it, which... It got heavier towards the end. Yes, The movie went on to become very important, I think, in the industry. Did you realize at the time that you said yes to being a part of this project that what was being recorded was going to be as stressful as it wound up being? No, because it's different after it's edited as well. I mean, if you think about going through a three-hour experience and then the final cut is only two minutes, taking the most stressful parts of those three hours, you just start to look at life a little different and, and you start to understand what reality TV is. And the <laughs> truth is, is like, you know, reality. everything was put together. They took a lot of the very stressful moments and they put them back to back to back. And that's what makes the movie interesting. So if we picked up all of the, metaphorically speaking, film off of the cutting room floor, it, it would be a lot far more, more relaxed. A lot more boring. Saw in the movie. A lot more boring. I mean, he definitely captured some very important stressful moments during the process. But if he didn't include those, the movie would be pretty boring. So what is going on with the world of sommeliers? And, you know, that was a term that I think was very popular some years ago and then seemed to have just died out for a long time. You would go into restaurants that didn't have a sommelier. And then all of a sudden the movie Psalm comes along. And frankly, for me, that was the first time I had heard the word shortened. Had it been shortened before the movie or did the movie really contribute largely to the shortening of a word that nobody can pronounce? It was already established. Like a lot of people refer to themselves as Psalms. As like, Psalms, oh, yeah. my friend's a Psalm working at Jean George. Or it was just a simple way without having to waste another half second of your breath. Right. <laughs> That's not that much longer to say sommelier versus Psalm. But um, when I was in Vegas, that was the first time I heard it. And that was around 06 or so when I just heard people referring to other people as Psalms and you don't really think twice So 12 about years it. ago then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ten, about 10, ten, year, 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. 06. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. you said 06. I thought you said yeah. you were six. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> You've been drinking wine since you were six. I know that. Or yeah. Right around that time. I've been time, tasting, right? you know, I, I've been tasting since I was really young because my dad always let me taste his Cuban cigars and different beers and never was drinking at six, but I was tasting. All right. Let's talk about the wines we have in front of us. And this is very interesting because I have always contended that there are a lot of people in this country or around the world that have a cupboard or a storage area in a cool garage where they have stashed away some wine that's been sitting there for a very long time. And we know that the odds of that wine surviving probably aren't that great, but sometimes they do. And you find a bottle of wine that's 30 or 40 years old. Sarah, what do we have in front of us? Because we pulled this randomly, really, for the most part, out of the racks in the new Sunset Wine Cellar. And these are really old wines. They Let's are. talk about them. And then, Ian, maybe you can talk a little bit about what to expect from a wine when it gets this age, if it's properly 
properly cared for as these definitely were, right? Yeah. And, and I can say too that Ian picked these to pull out of the racks and probably can say more about their years. But basically, Sunset has had a cellar since the 70s. It wasn't part of the original building because the wine industry was asleep until the late 60s, basically. I think when Robert Mondavi built his winery, that really picked things up. And so the family who owned Sunset built a cellar. They dug it out underground. And they actually had a woman whose job it was to collect a case of this, a case of that, cellar it, write notes about it. Um, she would put write tasting notes. We know how much she paid for it, who she served it to at Sunset events. And then she would say, try it in four years. Huh. Really interesting notes. When Time Inc. bought us, we're owned by, by the big corporation Time Inc., that whole collection sort of fell into misuse or disuse, I guess you could say. And sure, that's much better than misuse. misuse yeah. yeah, it wasn't wasn't misused. It was ignored. Um, and so only just in the last few years have I been able to come in and look at it. Sadly, we've lost a lot, but we still have a small collection that is very, very interesting from promising years. These are some of the big names in California at the time. Um, so what we have in front of us now is a 1987 Hansel Pinot Noir from Sonoma Valley. Hansel was one of the big Pinot names at the time. And then we have a Ridge from 1985. They called it a California Cabernet, but it was way more specific than that. It's from the Santa Cruz Mountains. And then we have a Chapelet from the hills up to the east of Napa Valley. And this is the oldest one on the table. It is a 1970 Cabernet. And I've always loved their wine. You as well? Yeah, there's some of the greatest values, I think, in Napa. Their signature Cabernet Sauvignon, I think it's under $40 a bottle. I think it is, yeah. And it's one of the best wines in Napa. So for those of you looking for, you know, solid Napa Cabernet and not don't want to spend hundreds of dollars a bottle, like uh, many of them are going up in price, uh, price to quality, the Chapelet Signature Mountain Series is one of the best buys. And they've always stuck to a certain balance as opposed to chasing riper fruit and higher sugars. Yeah, which is one main thing I don't like is mm. what's happened in Napa. I like traditionally produced wines that don't taste like boysenberry jam. And like you were saying, blind tasting Zinfandel earlier, we were talking about it. I opened up, <clears throat> I won't say what producer, but I poured into a glass and I would have called it Zinfandel in a blind tasting and it's Cabernet Sauvignon because they're picking so late. And at the end of the day, it's losing its personality because they're picking it in raisins, but it's uh, it's sweet, it's ripe, it's rich. And some people like that kind of, but of wine. But guessing what a wine is, is not a crime. No. And you know, there are an awful lot of people who will admit that they just don't smell or taste the things in a wine that you taste in it. Without a doubt. So question right. to both of you, is it more satisfying for you to experience a legendary wine that might be tremendously expensive or is it more satisfying to discover a great wine under $10 that is just a shocker? And you be know, honest. It's so. for, for me, it's tough to find good wine under $10 because there's a lot of things that are involved with production of right, an expensive right, wine. That, that was an arbitrary number. Let's so say $20 then. $20 for me is like above 15 is the price point. Below 10 yeah, okay, you're looking right. at machine harvested and a lot of things involved with the production that I don't necessarily like to support with my business because I really want clean farming. To put that on the side, there's some amazing finds, 15 to $25. And I think one of the greatest regions in the world that people are ignoring is Beaujolais, particularly Cru Beaujolais. There's 10 crews planted mostly on granite. The grape is Gamay. And the name was trashed because boatloads of horrible Beaujolais Nouveau came in that tasted really bad. And so a lot of people, especially from my parents' generation who were just seeing wines in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the name was totally tarnished. Okay. We are in the wine cellar at Sunset Magazine and so pleased to finally get 
get all three of us together. Uh, Sarah Schneider, wine editor of Sunset, of course, Ian Cobble, one of the best known sommeliers in the country and sitting and enjoying the wines. But being silent is Brandon Carnero, who's Ian's partner, CEO and co-founder of Som Select. And we'll talk a little bit more about that program in a second when we come back with Grape Encounters Radio. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. He's setting down the wine glass and picking up the microphone. Here's your Grape Encounters host, David Wilson. You know, sometimes on Grape Encounters, it's just fun to sit around and have a free-for-all with different people that you really respect in the wine business. I couldn't respect the two people across the table from me, Morris Sarah Schneider, who you hear on this show uh, pretty much every week, and Ian Cobble. By the way, I think Netflix now has it. You can go on to the Apple Store. Ian Masterson, who starred in the original movie Som, is also in Som Into the Bottle. That's getting rave reviews. The second movie, yeah, Into oh the Bottle. Gosh, uh, yeah. yeah. It's just a story about people, wine, and passion. It's incredible. Uh, it's an emotional experience for a lot of people that are in the wine business. And So I haven't uh, seen it yet. I'm really looking forward to it. But I understand that it's completely different from the first movie, Psalm. This isn't about people trying to become master sommeliers. It's about the sommeliers talking about wine in general. It's a story of about 10 different unique bottles of wine, in a sense. There's 1985 Elio Altare. There's older Trimbach. I mean, there's some older Schloss Johannesburg Riesling. And it takes you to each place and talks to the winemakers, talks about the history of the people, the influence of the Romans. And it kind of brings the quote-unquote average consumer who might not understand so much what goes into every bottle, hence the name, into the bottle. The sommeliers take you on an adventure of the world of wine and teach you a little bit more than you knew before. And I think most people, even at high levels, are still learning more about the Great Hill of Hermitage and how Riesling is one of the great places in the world and how Beaujolais has long been forgotten. And the people who know that Beaujolais is good are getting one of the best steals on the market for the price. It's, it's worth sitting through. You can get it on iTunes. I think it's roughly, it's about $14 a bottle. Uh, $14 <laughs> to rent it or purchase it. Through the Google Play Store, you can get it for $3.99 for just a rental. Okay. You can't buy That's it. great. Just a little hot tip there. Most people will want to watch it two or three times in the first few weeks. So I would recommend buying it and sharing with friends. Okay. So you're going for the higher price. All right. No. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not. You're not I'm making not, any big royalties no, off of this. No. Okay. Not, not one dollar. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just giving dollar. you my honest uh, opinion. But, but it is good for your reputation, I will tell you that. But for the person who, who watches something like that and just finds the language and the immense amount of knowledge that is out there just mind-boggling, what do you say to that person? Because the more you watch something like the movie Psalm, I think it was certainly, I want to call it a cult classic in the wine industry because so many people saw it and loved it, but it also scared people too because those of us who thought we knew a fair amount about wine suddenly realized that we didn't know buckets, you know? 
know, not diddly squat. So the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. Isn't that true? Without a doubt. I mean, you can take any subject matter, look at the human body or health or what you eat, and you can get into some pretty deep, scary technical information about anything. And what I did is I wanted to learn everything I could, and I still don't know everything. I still have a lot to learn every single day I'm learning. So it just so happens I passed the exam and I was number 197 in the world to do so. And I still look at the world as a very daunting uh, in terms of information available to learn. Just because I'm one of 220 master soulmates in the world doesn't mean I know everything. The opposite, all of us have a lot more to learn. And so everyone needs to understand that you know life is an opportunity to continuously learn, no matter what level if you are. If you're a PhD in any subject matter, you're continuously learning. And if you think you know everything, <laughs> you don't. It's simple. I yeah. would add that it's fun at any level, any little tidbit. There's something about wine that I wish that it weren't as pressured as it does seem to be out there. But it's both intellectual and it's sensual. And there's not much in the world that brings both of those together. And just getting into it at any level is fun. And I love the fact that our younger readers don't seem to be as intimidated by it. You know, everything's going social and they're happy to share opinions in whatever words that came to them. They aren't sanctioned by the guild probably, but they're not cowed by this information there. What what a discovery. Oh, did you know this? You know, you got to try this. You know, what's amazing is if you stand behind a wine bar long enough, you'll notice that it's the millennials that come in that are really just spewing out the knowledge and, you know, kind of testing each other and comparing notes and all of that. I see that more with the 20-somethings and early 30-somethings than almost any other age group. Would you agree? Yeah, I think I mean, so. Because you, you're only 30-something yourself, Sarah. Thank you, yeah. Debbie. Okay, yeah. Ian? Yeah, I think millennials are starting to make money for the first time in their life and they're getting into food and wine. So to drink high-end wine and to learn about the regions of the world like Burgundy and the Cote Roti and Hermitage, these most classic regions of the world, it is costly. I'll be honest. If you want to drink wine, there are wines in the world that are two, six, eight dollars a bottle, but you're not going to be tasting the best of the world unless you start to spend over 25 to 30 dollars a bottle. So it starts to add up without a question. So <clears throat> I think that's the reason why millennials are really starting to get into, it, get into it. A lot of my friends are for the first time, you know, buying a house and have some extra income. And that's an important part of it, to be honest. And so they're buying a house, they're buying $6 wine now because of that. <laughs> but all of this still begs the question, you know, that shiny black Maserati that you pulled up in? <laughs> he's kidding. You know, I course. don't know about, uh, he's kidding. <laughs> don't have a Maserati. Uh, okay. <laughs> Just to all clarify. Right. All right. Okay. I don't know uh, where that's he coming from. He will never here. let me lie about him, but that's all right. But Just take my record. car, for instance. I don't think that I have ever lifted the hood of the car except one time when the battery needed to be jumped. And for most people, I think that's the case now. People used to work on their cars. Now they have no idea how it works. A lot of people don't even know how many cylinders the car has. They've never lifted the hood. Somebody else does that. We don't care about that anymore with certain things we just take for granted that we love the car or our iPhone or whatever it might be. We don't have to know the inner workings of it. Why is it so important with wine? Why can't we just enjoy the wine and not dissect it? I don't know if you showed somebody a photo of the Mona Lisa and you asked them what they thought of it and they had never heard of the history and understand the importance of that painting. It's not quite as interesting, is it? I mean, everything with a story, that's what makes things interesting. Hearing somebody's life story, for example, you look at that person in a different way. Uh, looking at this you know, bottle of 1985 Ridge coming from this unique hill southwest of us in the Santa Cruz Mountains, there's you know, a story and a place. I mean, life is, I think, pretty boring if nothing had a story. Right. And you know that one of its sister wines recently 
recently, you know, bested all of the Bordeaux in a rematch of the Judgment of Paris right, tasting yeah. in the 1973 Ridge. Montebello, I think that was. I mean, this starts adding up. And I think going back to millennials, they actually, in the food and beverage world, they have details on their mind that I never did when I was in my 20s and learning to drink coffee, say. I just liked what it did for my day. And I liked the smell first, then started liking the taste. But I will admit to having a daughter who's a millennial now. And she knows the nuances of her coffee. She will drive 40 miles out of her way to go to a new craft brewery. I wish I could say she loved wine, but I'm working on her. She will come around. But flavors and and learning and the stories behind. And that's uh, big time. People are inspired to learn more. and, And, you know, life is more interesting when you're out learning and experiencing and using your senses. And wine does that for you. You can look at wine as an intoxicant and drink a bottle that's $10 and sit and watch a movie and get a buzz and not know anything about it. That's great. There's Some people want to do that. If or I'm going to get intoxicated, it's going to be a $2 bottle of wine. <laughs> you know, but be, but yeah. to each their own. Or yeah. you can look at a bottle of wine as a piece of living art and somebody's passion. And they sold everything when they're they're 21 years old and moved to Napa Valley and started this you know winery. And now this is one of the first vintages they ever made. And, and we're here enjoying like you know a piece of living art that has a story. And it's much more interesting than if you just gave me this glass of wine and didn't tell me anything about it. The more you know about a winemaker and the more you know about the area the wine came from and even the process, the more you really do appreciate the wine. And it's kind of, I think, like listening to a symphony in a way where you can either take the whole thing in and really get lost in it. But if you go a little deeper and you start to listen for the oboe and listen for, you know, uh, the woodwinds and all of these different elements that are in it and focus on them one at a time, you realize that it's a much bigger experience than just that bite that you just swallow very quickly. Sound bite. That's poetry. That's poetry. Nicely said. Thank you. And I think, you know, everyone talks about winemakers. Not many people talk about like vineyard managers, but people don't realize that winemakers are very, very in touch with with the vineyards and the vineyard managers. And I think that the most important thing about the wine is not necessarily the winemaker, the type of barrel they're using or the yeast they're using to ferment or the temperature. It's how the vineyards are treated. And I think that's overlooked. And I think that the best wines of the world, people don't realize they're not using chemical herbicides and pesticides and they're hand harvested. And there's a lot of work that goes into creating the greatest wines of the world. And you're not just spending money on a fancy label. You're spending money on the work and the people that are physically getting into those vines and working with them versus a tractor. You're paying for the gas and the machine for somebody to go spray to prevent some sort of fungal outbreak. You're actually getting what you pay for with the world of wine. And I think a lot of people don't think about that. And they're just looking for the cheapest bottle of wine that might taste good. But people don't understand the flip side of that is you might be getting things into your body that you necessarily don't want. Just a tremendous pleasure to be sitting with Sarah and Ian, Ian Cobble, the master song. What are you, what, number 193? Is that I was right? at 197. 197. Somewhere around there. I mean, there were seven people who passed on that day. So we're all kind of mixed uh, in. But you had to come out knowing there was going to be a camera on you when you heard the news. Yeah, it was it was stressful. Yeah. <laughs> How good does Sounds that, like an understatement. Does that still feel really good to you? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I just, I'm just happy I passed. It's, you know, it's a very difficult exam. It's, you know, five to seven percent of a pass rate of the people who are invited to sit the exam. So I'm just fortunate Those to have, good have gotten through it. And, you know, even if you're ready to take the exam and you're really good, all of the parts, it doesn't mean you're going to pass. You have to perform on that day. And there's a lot of nerves involved. And I don't think people understand, like if you've ever taken, you know, a test after studying for six months, there's a little bit of pressure to pass that. The year that I was in, there were seven people of 48 who passed, but all of the people who passed were, were taking it their third and fourth time. Okay. We'll be back with more Grave Encounters right after this. Give me that wine. 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 Give me that w
loose without my juice. I don't get much loose with that. Like a bottle of red wine, or maybe two. He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends. Open up your mind. The possibilities. Together we can grow like a deep merlot if you don't go. Well, time flies when you're having amazing wine, and uh, it flies even faster when you're having amazing wine with amazing people. We are sitting here in the wine cellar this week with Sarah Schneider, wine editor of Sunset Magazine. I love having you on the radio, Sarah. Oh, David, I love people great to write be with me you. all the time, and or come in to our wine bar and just say how much they love listening to you. Oh, thanks for saying that. You're the people's wine editor. <laughs> also here, Ian Cobble, who is just on fire. Right, you're so busy right now, right? Yeah, new business. Somselect.com uh, is doing very well and traveling the world. We're going to leave to Germany next week to find more wines, small production, oh, traveling fun. through Spain and Burgundy, just trying to find new wines for our... Sarah, he's got a better gig than us. I'm he thinking does. that. I'm thinking that. So, I'm going to work my angles here. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my full-time life is focused on Som Select, and we're simply trying to curate the best wines of every price point. The main part of our business is a daily offer. It's a curated selection, small production from around the world. Most of it's from Europe, a little bit from California. Oregon, New Zealand, and we pick one wine every day that I believe to be the best of its price to quality. If it's an Oregon Pinot Noir at $35 a bottle, it's the best I've tasted in the last year, and we're giving you free shipping off $100 in order. So you can go to somselect.com, click sign up, and it's a free subscription. Every day you'll get an email roughly 10 a.m., and it's a story about the people, the place, the soil, the fermentations, and a recipe you can prepare with the what wine. What if I don't so, like the wine? You're doing recipes If you don't too. like the wine, you email us, and we'll take care of it, and we'll make you happy. That's a really? very, yeah. Well, Do we only return the unconsumed portion or you're just going to take my word for it we take your word for it awesome wow Sarah, but you know Sarah, it's, we, it's, <laughs> it's, it's you know but everyone's people are honest i know they and, are. and and yeah. and we we believe them and and we don't have any issues if they call us up and they might have bought three bottles they don't like it we'll say okay we'll credit you for those three bottles we hope you like the other two maybe after they've gotten a little bottle age and you know if the great part about the site if you look at the top uh somselect.com at the top it says acid alcohol body uh, fruit earth and so if you know that you like california's infidels and you look at that offer and it says one out of five on fruit, right? And five out of five on earth, it's probably going to be an earthy wine with no fruit. So people can already know that they're not going to like it. So we don't talk about points. We, I don't think points are very relevant because people want to talk, oh, this is a 94 point wine. That doesn't tell you much about the wine. It doesn't tell you what the quality is, how much richness, how much fruit. You know, a lot of people, if you like California's Infidel, you like moderate acid red wines with a lot of fruit. It's very simple mm-hmm. and right. not much mm-hmm. earth versus if you like Chinon, which is a Cabernet Franc based appellation in France, the wines taste like dried leaves and wet green tobacco and very crushed rocks and, you know, mushrooms. And these are very advanced flavors. I think they're incredible, but not appealing to everybody. But that's the great thing about, it's like art or music. It's all a matter of opinion. Most people don't like caviar either, you know, but without Mm -hmm. a doubt, there you have it. All right. So we just have a couple of minutes left. Can each of you share your thoughts on one or two of the things that you think are the most important thing for our listeners to know to enjoy their wine experience or find 
find great wines. Where will you send people to have a great wine experience? Is it the tasting room? What about the person who's getting all their wine in Costco, for instance? You know, what, what do you need to know when you go out in search of wine? Do you have to find a great wine shop? Do you have to talk to somebody who knows everything about the wine? Or how can you navigate this on your own? I just wide well, open if I were going to tell anybody, I think you need to try new things. You know, do not stick with your daily same wine every day. If you're really, your comfort zone. If you're really passionate about wine, you should be trying new things. And the worst thing that's going to happen is you don't like it and you've learned that you don't like that wine from that specific place. But there's so many incredible experiences. And if you like rich fruit forward styles of wine and you think you don't like French wine, try Chateauneuf de Pop, right? Or try something from the Languedoc Roussillon, Old Vine Grenache. And I think it's important to not just try to go at it yourself. Find somebody at a great local wine store with a good selection and make them your friend and ask them for advice. What should I try? I want to have three or four new bottles and I want to spend $25 a bottle, whatever you want to spend. Give them a price range and get outside your comfort zone and don't just go to your local supermarket and grab the same thing every single day. You know, you can, but it's going to stop your learning and understanding of the world. And I think it's my passion. And if I drank only one wine every day, I would be very bored. So I find trying new things and learning about the world through your taste buds. I mean, it's a lot of fun. For the person who has a very tight budget, but really has a passion for delicious wine, where would you send them? Italy. Italy. There's a lot of incredible values in Italy that are under 10 or $15 a bottle. To try to spend under, you know, seven or eight, it's a little bit difficult because there's people's labor involved. You know, the cork in the bottle itself cost, you know, a dollar or two. So uh, I would, you know, recommend trying, you know, there's a lot of incredible wines from France, Spain. I would get outside of California if you're trying to spend under $15 a bottle. Argentina, Argentina, Argentine Malbec. Amen to that. Price to quality, the best in the world. If you're looking for a $10 red, you don't know what to get. Argentine Malbec is pretty much a guarantee 95% of the time. If you're willing to spend $30 on an Argentine Malbec, you're going to get something that's going to blow your shorts off. Absolutely. 30 bucks will buy you a trip to heaven. Yeah. If you're looking at, you know, sorry, Napa, but if you're looking at a Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon for 30, Argentine Malbec, the Malbec will blow it away 99% of the time. By the the way, that's a very interesting comparison that you made because one of the things that I'm finding more and more people who can't afford those expensive Napa cabs are really looking at Argentine Malbecs now because they're really cross compatible. If you like one, you'll like the other. They have similar textures and richness, mouth coating, concentration of a lot of black fruits, you know, kind of a sweetness to the fruit, but still balanced and fresh, which Napa Cabernet has influence of the San Pablo Bay and the Pacific Ocean. So you have a lot of freshness to the wines. And, you know, in Argentina, they get uh, influence of the Andes and the cold air there. And long story short, Argentina is one of the greatest values in the world. Sarah, what about you? Agreed. I agree with everything Ian just said, uh, especially the find yourself a good wine shop clerk and develop a relationship. You know, I think there are some wonderful deals in Costco, but there's nobody to help. So I really think people should find that clerk. I have always thought that I learned the most and had the most fun when I tasted with somebody who knew a little bit more than I did. I think it's really a good idea to, as often as you can, taste with somebody who knows just a little bit more than you do. And the other thing I think is an interesting thing to add to your, your wine interest. When you have people over for dinner, put two wine glasses in front of everybody's place and pour two different wines. And it's amazing how the conversation breaks out about those wines. If there's only one, nobody's talking about it. If there are two, suddenly everybody's comparing. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. Gosh, what a pleasure to have you guys on. This has just been so much fun. Thanks, David. All right. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, if you want to follow up on what Sarah's doing, gosh, you can just Google Sarah Schneider or go to the Sunset Magazine website. It's just, what, 
what? Sunset.com. Sunset.com. Man, now that's a good website. And then, Ian, to find you? Somselect.com. You can contact us at info at somselect.com. Any wine questions you might have. And, uh, Do you guys answer them personally? Yes. Well, okay. you know, we have a team of people, but they call me if they have a question that they can't answer. All right, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters. Let's do this again very soon. And we will be back here next week. And don't settle for wines that you don't love. Love.